go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you know us. I think about uh, pastors like Psalm 139 that says uh, you've known us our entire lives. Uh, you know when we rise, um, when we sleep, when we walk, when we run, when we, when we run uh, that there's nowhere we can go away from your presence. And I pray that that actually would be good news tonight. That wouldn't be awkward or strange. Um, but we know that you are a God who's restoring us, who's healing us, who's redeeming us from the inside out. And I pray, God, that sex would be something that we could look at as a gift, uh, not as something that um, is, is, is a God in our life and is something that's, that's gross or, or whatever. So, so, Jesus, I just pray you would do really amazing things uh, in our hearts. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you guys, have you ever had to deal with a personal issue that you were ashamed of or kind of confused over, maybe embarrassed by uh, growing up? And I'm not talking super heavy stuff. I'm talking more just like kind of a, a quirk or a tick, maybe a minor health issue you had. Um, and I know for me, I think a lot of us kind of carry uh, this random sense that something's wrong with us or broken about us. And it's only us that experiences this. Uh, I grew up with asthma and intense allergies as a kid. And I got to say, as a, as a little kid, that sucked. I'm just going to be honest with you. It was the worst. Um, I can remember uh, my friends would get pe- I couldn't have pets because I was allergic to both cats and dogs. And we didn't have monkeys running around like you guys do here. And, uh, and so literally, I couldn't get pets and I couldn't play with my friends' pets. And so I'd just kind of be hanging out. Kind of, you know, my friends would be like, why are you crying, Andy? And I'd be like, man, your cat's just so beautiful. <laughs> Playing sports was rough uh, with, with asthma. I'd always run out of breath first. I also, um, from third grade through sixth grade, uh, every day before recess, before uh, lunch, because it was kind of a preventative measure, uh, I had to do an asthma treatment where I would put a mask on, a nebulizer, and uh, in the back of the room that everyone could watch me with this uh, kind of oxygen mask on. And, and that's kind of cool in third grade. It's kind of a fighter pilot, Star Wars, Top Gun vibe. You feel excited. But by sixth grade, you're starting to kind of flirt with girls, and you just kind of look like an old man with an oxygen mask on kind of a Darth Vader vibe. Again, either way, it's hard to feel attractive in this thing, you know, kind of, hey girl, what are you doing during recess? I don't know why I was talking like that as a kid, but I can remember feeling kind of stupid, embarrassed, sleepovers. Uh, the worst was in fourth grade. I wanted to spend the night at my friend's house and I couldn't. It's like five of my closest friends and I couldn't spend the night because they had a dog named Wanda. Wanda was the worst. I can remember just kind of hating myself, man. I wish I could just be normal. I wish I could be healed from these stupid allergies, this asthma, this breathing situation. But you know what? I've been a pastor long enough and talked to enough people to know that asthma is a pretty shallow wound to carry around compared to what so many of us walk around with on the daily. Another area I've often felt overwhelmed by shame historically was in the area of my sexuality. By the way, disclaimer, I'm just going to let you know right now that I'm going to be about as vulnerable as I have ever been as a pastor tonight. Again, we're going to be talking about sex, and so uh, this message is going to be rated PG-13, okay? Uh, There's kids kind of over the age of five, under the age of 10. You might want to, I don't know, or if you just can't handle PG-13 movies, uh, you might want to leave right now. Uh, My sexual history kind of started in a real way when I was five years old. I remember it vividly. I was at a friend's house, and for some reason, uh, someone left a Playboy magazine on the back of the toilet. I'm guessing it was his dad, but it could have been his mom. And, uh, and I remember opening it up as a five-year-old and finding pictures of a naked woman with balloons. I'll never forget. I remember so vividly. And, uh, and I remember um, going back to that bathroom over and over again, looking at this kind of tantalizing picture. And I also remember feeling like I needed to keep it secret. It was like, I really like what I see, and I can't tell anyone that I want to see it. 
Again, nobody talked to me about sex or how to steward it my entire life. I did not grow up in a, a family that considered itself to be Christian. And so I learned from my friends who had no idea what they were talking about. And I learned about sex from fifth grade boys. Uh, in the fifth grade, uh, one of my friends uh, got dial-up internet. And me and my boys would kind of huddle around this computer and slowly watch naked images kind of appear out of thin air. Um, and uh, again, kind of forbidden. And so we kind of started looking at porn at that point. Around sixth grade, I started taking an interest in girls. Uh, started to feel a deep sense of acceptance when a girl desired me. And I began to pursue that with everything I had. I remember my first kiss in the sixth grade. It was planned like a fight. Uh, it was like a boxing promo. After school, Andy and Veronica are going to kiss today. Get ready for it. Behind the school, Andy and Veronica, it's going down. Going to kiss. And I was really nervous. And so uh, my buddy Adam and his girlfriend, also named Veronica, agreed that they would, they would also, we'd kiss at the same time. Just take the pressure off. They were, they were pretty advanced in pecking at this point. You know, quickie. And uh, I kissed her in front of everyone, and I loved it, man. I got, I got a man, everyone's like, dude, check this guy out, kissing. I got the kiss. I loved it. I loved the intention of girls. And then seventh grade came around, and for the next 10 years, I would find my acceptance uh, primarily from the girlfriend I had uh, or the girl uh, I was messing around with. Um, to be honest, I have no clue how many people I was involved with through middle school and high school. There's a lot of alcohol involved, uh, but I know it started early, like in middle school, lost my virginity, early in high school. And so um, very quickly, it kind of started a cycle in my life where um, I would find um, comfort in internet pornography, and I would find acceptance in the girl, uh, whatever girls thought of me, what women thought of me. I can remember um, binge-watching porn for hours early on in high school, uh, until 3, 4 in the morning. Um, and so this really became a, a huge space in my life. Um, then I met my, my now wife, uh, my senior year of high school. Uh, I was a senior, she was a junior, and she became both my acceptance emotionally and my comfort sexually. Uh, right after high school, we were living together. We got saved out of high school, so we've already been involved this way, uh, and we, we, uh, we had no modeling. We didn't know how to walk with Jesus, and so we lived together before we were married, um, and we, we shared a twin-sized bed, and we said, we're going to be sexually pure, which is hilarious, <laughs> and, but literally, we, we try. Like, we literally, we, we do our best. I think we went like a month sleeping in a twin-sized bed together, um, and, uh, and so eventually we get married. And uh, eventually we get married, and about a year into our marriage, now, now we, can, we can have sex kind of in a godly way, um, but about a year into our marriage, uh, I decided I wanted to be a pastor, and I wanted to go to Bible college. Uh, I got a laptop and the internet so I could get my schoolwork done, and I'm getting a laptop and the internet for Bible college, and, and, it's, and, and now I'm wide open to the world of internet porn again for the first time as a follower of Jesus. For about three weeks to a month, I, I looked at it in secret when Jackie was asleep, and I finally confessed it to her. And I remember she told me she, she felt like I cheated on her. And she wept for literally hours. She did not want to kiss me for days. And now the thing that I used to go to for comfort, porn, was getting in the way of my acceptance, my false acceptance from Jackie. A little while later, a little while later Jackie would share with me the, star, the heartbreaking story of her own uh, childhood sexual abuse at the hands of a family member. So she had a very distorted view of sex and marriage, and so did I. But here's something that's, that's just insane. Um, Jackie would later tell me that forgiving me for using porn in our marriage was more painful for her than forgiving the man who abused her for years as a child. I can't tell you 
how much guilt I felt. Often we believe the lie that our sexual sin just impacts us. I think for a lot of single guys, single girls, uh, looking at porn, kind of sleeping around, won't impact anyone. But if you get married, it absolutely will. We were an utter mess. We needed Jesus' saving power to heal and restore us deeply. We needed an, an acceptance and a comfort outside of ourselves. And this is where Jesus comes in as the hero of my story, of our story. And over the last 10 years since then, Jesus has done so much in our hearts and our lives. Teaching us how to love one another and serve one another instead of use one another. Teaching us how to forgive one another from the heart. Teaching us how to live simultaneously lives of both sexual purity and sexual fulfillment. This is the last thing I'll say about us for now, but our sex life is currently the best it has ever been since we got married. Um, 13 years in, and, and I am as attracted to my wife now as I have ever been. Both the, the internal spiritual reality of who she is in Jesus, as well as the, the beautiful woman I get a glimpse of every morning when I wake up. Again, it isn't easy. We aren't perfect. I still wrestle with lust. We still fight. But man, it is so different because of Jesus. Again, sorry if you're new. This is quite the introduction to me tonight as a speaker. But here's why I'm sharing this part of my story like this so publicly. I want you to know tonight that whatever your sexual past or your sexual struggles are, you are welcome here tonight. My heart in sharing this vulnerably is like that of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1.16. He says this. Paul wrote this in scripture. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, of whom I am the worst. Verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the worst sinner, right, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul said God saved him because he was such a mess that if he made Paul an apostle, it would give other people hope that no matter what they did or no matter what they've done, that he could forgive them, that, that if God could forgive Paul, he could definitely forgive them. And so my goal in sharing so vulnerably tonight is to create safety. And if the pastor is up here talking about his sexual history and porn and promiscuity, you definitely can talk about your issue your porn issue, your lust issue, your friends with benefits situation, your same-sex attraction issue, your masturbation issue, your sexual abuse issue, whatever your deal is, you can talk about it. There is a freedom available to you. I want you to be thinking, if Jesus can redeem that guy and that couple, maybe he can redeem me. Maybe he can redeem my marriage because he can. And so as a leader in the church, I want to be an example of the restoring power of Jesus tonight. I want to give you guys um, the gift of going second and take some of the awkwardness on myself so it's less awkward for you when you confess and share your story with some of the leaders here because we are all in the process of sanctification, of becoming like Jesus. And so tonight I'm going to look at what the scriptures say about sex, but before I do, uh, I want to touch on one idea that could keep us from receiving from the Holy Spirit this evening. I want, to get, I want to look at the scriptures and, and, and see the vision that God has for sex in our lives. And I want to talk about how to practically live in that reality. But before I do that, I want to talk about this idea that the Bible is old-fashioned and that Paul and Jesus don't understand what we're going through sexually today. That times have changed. We're progressive now. They don't get it. And so to look at how the gospel informs our sexual uh, past perspective and purity, I want to look at Paul's letter to the Corinthians. First Corinthians. 
Now, a little bit of context about this letter. Paul was, wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians, to real people in a real city, ancient Corinth. It's in modern-day Greece. I went to Greece last year, and I, uh, two years ago, and I literally saw signs to Corinth. Corinth, on the freeway, Corinth with an arrow. It's a real place, and it was a real place. So Paul is going to address sex in this letter. And you need to know that ancient Corinth was even more sexually progressive, quote-unquote, as a culture than we are. They lived in a culture where orgies were normative, right? They're like, Ed, what are you up to tonight? Oh, I'm going to the temple orgy. <laughs> what are you up to, Rick? Pedophilia and pederasty were commonplace and not viewed as wrong. Prostitution wasn't only accepted, it was often viewed as sacred. Homosexuality was considered normal and celebrated. The term living like a Corinthian was an insult you would throw at someone if you wanted to mock them for their promiscuity. Pretty much every sexual behavior was not only tolerated, but celebrated in ancient Corinth, with the exception of incest, because everyone has their standard. Corinth was a port city that then, in a sense, connected east and west, kind of similar to the Durban of old. New philosophies would come through as often as new travelers would come in. It was a hotbed uh, for subjective truth and subjective morality. And so Paul is writing to disciples of Jesus who became disciples of Jesus out of this culture. Their sexual histories, mistakes, and deviance would have been extensive. And so when Paul writes to them, what he is saying is as true and applicable to disciples of Jesus uh, living in ancient Corinth as it is to modern-day disciples in Durban and San Diego. So don't think the Bible is so outdated. He's, he's addressing issues just like ours and even crazier ones. He wasn't just dealing with dating couples struggling to maintain their sexual purity. He was writing to people who were struggling to stop going to orgies on the wreck. So don't think Paul, the ancient prude. With that being said, let's look at his words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. Paul writes this, flee from sexual immorality, run from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So in this passage, Paul is giving really practical instructions on how to steward our sexuality in a way that honors Jesus and brings us maximum joy. He's speaking to people, again, who have a messy background, and he's saying this is how you should steward your sex life moving forward. He's saying to enjoy it best, use it this specific way. And by the way, Paul's writing under the assumption that God designed sex as the creator of life, and as the designer of sex, he knows how it is best used. Because how we view sex is important and impacts the way we approach it. There are, I think, two um, equally disastrous errors we can make when it comes to this idea of how we, how we view sex. And the first one is this. Error A is this, is that sex is broken. This is the idea that sex is dirty or wrong. Maybe you had a really conservative religious background. Maybe you experienced abuse, like I talked about earlier in my wife's story. Maybe you've just committed sexual sin so many times and you've felt guilty so many times afterwards that it's hard for it to be viewed as a good or positive thing because it rarely makes you feel good or positive for very long. You may have moments of pleasure, but whole periods of guilt and shame. So this is too low a view of sex. 
the second opposite error we can make is not that sex is broken, but, but the second error is that sex is boss. This is the idea that our sexual desire and attraction is in charge, that it's too powerful, and I need to do anything I want or feel. This is the idea that there's no real right or wrong in regards to sex. The only way I gauge what's right is if it makes me happy at the moment and it's technically consensual. And again, by the way, just because we really want to do something doesn't mean it's right or good, okay, or true. I want to be tan. I have milky white skin. Milk could approach me to do an ad. Like, dude, you'd crush it. Your skin, dude, it's just perfect, right? Michelle, Michelle Clark said she loves it when I come around because I'm one of the only people with whiter skin than her. And I draw attention uh, in photos, my whiteness. When I put, um, when I put suntan lotion on, I've done it once. Um, I didn't turn tan because uh, if, I, if I get in the sun, I'll turn red. Um, so I, I would put it on, and, and I didn't turn tan. I turned yellow like Bart Simpson. I can want that. It's not going to happen. I want a million dollars. It doesn't mean I'm going to get it or that I, I should get it. Also, all of us as sinful people are tempted to do things that would destroy our lives and the lives of others if we followed through on them. Follow your heart is not a biblical idea. Hitler followed his heart. Every person who ever murdered anyone followed their heart. Again, think about if all of us did whatever we felt would make us happy. C.S. Lewis, Lewis said, no one sins out of duty. We always sin out of delight. We sin because we think it will make us happy. It, it, think about how, what, what adultery would do to our community if we had sex with every attractive person who was down to have sex with us. Think about how, how violent culture would be if we punched every person who made us angry. It might make you happy to punch someone in the face. Not a great move. Stealing. Think if we, if we took everything that we wanted but we couldn't afford. Just because you want to do it and it would make you happy does not mean it's right or good or going to satisfy you. So this idea that sex is boss means no boundaries. It means sexual desire is your identity. And it cannot be told no. So sex is broken is too low a view of sex. Sex is boss has too high a view of sex. But I think there's a third way we can view sex, and the way the Bible views sex, which is this. Sex is beautiful. In its proper context, it can be lovely. Sex is good. Sex is pleasurable. God, God, God created sex. He's down. Okay? A lot of us think of God as this kind of cosmic killjoy uh, who created sex. We, we kind of think he, he designed humans. Uh, he kind of walked away for a lunch break, right? Went to go get a, a bunny chow and then came back. Was like, what are they doing? Whoa! God designed sex to feel good because he loves us. God designed sex as a way to create intimacy between two people because he loves us. There is a part of the female body that exists just for pleasure, not procreation. Orgasms are unnecessary. Beauty is unnecessary. We could all look like squids. The idea that we're image bearers of God is that we reflect who God is with our heart and our minds. It's not our physical features. God could have made procreation happen by squid shaking tentacles with no sensations. I'm glad he didn't do that. He is creative and he loves us. God isn't a cosmic killjoy. He's the one who invented sex, and he gave it as a gift to us, and he wants you to be more sexually fulfilled than you want to be sexually fulfilled, which is crazy. But as a creator, he knows how best to use his creation. It's when we leave his instructions behind that we get into a lot of trouble with sex. 
when we take part in sexual sex, when we take part in sexual acts, sexual sex is always sex. When we take part in sexual acts outside of a committed marriage between a man and a woman, we commit what the Bible calls sexual sin or sexual immorality. Again, if we think about it in terms of God being creator, this is so foolish. An engineer knows how best to use the thing he designed or she designed, and God designed sex. So it would be foolish to disregard his instructions on the topic. This is like going up to Elon Musk and going, you guys don't know much about Elon Musk in South Africa, do you? I know, it was a joke, it was a joke. Yeah, he's South African. It's like going up to Elon Musk going, do you even Tesla, bro? I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put gas in my Tesla. I know I'm gonna do it my way. It's like, that's ridiculous. As, as, as the person who helped engineer it, he knows Tesla's better than you do. God knows sex better than you do. And he gives his instructions for maximum pleasure and joy. But again, these commands are easier said than done. Here's what I know. Everyone in this room struggles with sexual purity. You and I struggle daily. Because of the fall, we are all broken to some extent sexually. And we are in the process of being redeemed. But none of us can say the struggle is completely over. In a room this size, there are people sleeping with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. There are people sleeping with kind of whoever shows interest in them. There are people addicted to pornography. There are people who aren't there are people who aren't sleeping with their spouse. There are people who are only a matter of time away from committing adultery and sleeping with someone besides their spouse. There are people who have been the other man or the other woman. There are people who are wrestling deeply with same-sex attraction. There are people wrestling with dark, lustful thoughts that they can't seem to shake. By the way, wherever you're at on the spectrum, you are welcome here tonight. We believe Jesus really can restore, redeem, and transform you from the inside out. And by the way, no one in this room is above any of the things I just talked about. Oh, disgusting. An old missionary put it this way. There is far more wickedness in all our hearts than we know. We never can tell how far we might fall if once placed in temptation. There is no degree of sin into which the greatest saint may not run if he is not held up by the grace of God and if he does not watch and pray. The seeds of every form of wickedness lie hidden in our hearts. They only need the convenient season to spring forth into a mischievous vitality. In other words, you and I are not above anything given the right context at the right time with the right temptation. And so in light of this command in 1 Corinthians and in light of us being people who struggle to obey it, I want to talk about how we can practically live sexually pure and sexually fulfilled lives. I want to talk about what it looks like for us as broken people to sow to the Spirit, what it looks like for us to practically remove barriers to become the people Jesus wants us to be. And so I just have a couple of key things I want to talk about. I think they're all important, and I think you'll experience um, a real restoration if you seek to ask Jesus to enable you to walk into these things. You guys ready to get started? Get excited. Super lighthearted. Super lighthearted start, all right? First one is this, is as you wrestle to walk in, into sexual purity and fulfillment, the first thing we need to do is reveal where we're at in community. Reveal where we're at in community. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. We're called to confess to one another, to share with one another. Christians are so fake sometimes. 
and it makes no sense because the cross outs us. The cross, again, it says, you're so bad, Jesus had to die for you, and you're so loved that Jesus was glad to die for you. So why do we pretend like the cross wasn't necessary? Paul said, if righteousness could be attained by the law, then Jesus died for nothing. That the only person who doesn't belong in church is the person who thinks they're too good to be, that thinks they're good enough to be there. We were brought in through grace and only grace. And so James says it should be a place where we can confess to one another. It should be a place where we can admit we need grace still. The church should be a place where we receive medicine. The medicine is the grace of God. But to receive medicine, you have to admit you have a problem. You don't take treatment if you don't think you're sick. We have to admit we're in sin, that we're failing. But here's the craziest thing. So often we're worried we're going to be judged. And the enemy tells us, if you open up about your sin, you're going to be kicked out of the church. And you're disgusting and you're gross. But so often we find that if we are able to open up to people who understand the grace of God, that they give us the grace of God. And, 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 and that struggle loses its power. Oftentimes we can give people a gift. There's people right next to us struggling with the same thing. Remember once I, um, I, was, I was in a, a premarital course, me and my wife, and um, we were in a premarital course. It was a very churchy premarital course, a very kind of churchy religious church, and it was right after church on the church property with church people, with fake church smiles. And uh, our premarital instructor said, uh, I want to ask you guys a question, and the question is this, is what is the biggest struggle that you are facing as a couple during your engagement. And, uh, and, and I remember I just started thinking, okay, what's my churchy answer to this churchy question from this churchy lady helping lead the course with her husband? And I, I said, okay, I'm just going to say something like, you know, I'm only fasting one day a month. I'm only memorizing five verses of scripture a day. And so I'm trying to think of my fake churchy, fake churchy answer. I'll never forget it. There was this woman right across from me. It was like a semicircle. There was three couples. And there was this woman uh, in the first couple who would have gone first. Her name was Teresa. I would have been going last. And Teresa opens up with, me and my fiancé are currently engaged in a premarital sexual relationship. And it just feels like we can't stop. And I remember thinking immediately, oh, we're going to tell the truth? <laughs> no one is more shocked than Andre, her fiancé. <laughs> what? We're going there? Now, what's so beautiful about that moment is that in that moment, Teresa, Therese, she freed everyone else up in that group to keep it real. Because then I could say, man, man, us too. And we've got insane fights and, and anger stuff and jealousy and insecurity. Again, we all struggle, but often we don't believe it and we live afraid, isolated lives. Then we want to have all of us in, in the darkness all by ourselves, disconnected, believing we're alone. And he destroys us on our own. The Bible says that the, the, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who to devour. We just had the game park recently, uh, and I, was, I had to walk between uh, rooms at night, and uh, there was a big rustle in the bushes. And I was like, Grant, bro, there is something, and it's big. I know they said there's an electric fence, but I know I've seen Jurassic Park. Sometimes the electricity goes down, and, you know, that could be a lion. And it was, it was just an impala, but whatever. The enemy loves to get us to, 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 to end up by ourselves to get us away from the, from the, from the rest of the flock and devour us. But you know, that's not, that doesn't have to be that way. You have a community that wants to fight for you, wants to fight alongside you. Kind of a battle of, at Kruger Park situation. You've got, you've got a whole gang of buffalo that want to come to your rescue and help you. By the way, this is why this church does life groups and community. Spaces to openly share, man, I'm struggling. I need help. There's so much freedom in walking in the light. And there's so much slavery in staying in darkness and, and hiding things. 
Ever since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, we've been longing to cover up and hide. But I just got to tell you, there's no freedom in that. There's no joy in that. And so one, we've got to confess our sin to community. Two, we have to figure out what's motivating you to sin sexually. We all don't sin for the same reasons. We, we look to sex for, for different things. Some are motivated by comfort, some by control. And I actually have uh, um, a gal with us from our church named Nicole, who's actually going to share a little bit of her story and her walking through um, brokenness and, and seeing Jesus redeem her. Um, and I'm going to ask her to share right now um, about that process of realizing for her what was motivating her. Because it might not be, it's not, always, it's not about sex. Uh, sex, sex, you can come up, yeah, you can come up. <laughs> But sex often is a manifestation of what, what's going on in our heart. So I asked her to share, and uh, she courageously is down to share. Thanks, Andy. Um, <clears throat> hi, you guys. Uh, my name's Nicole. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, in light of what Andy was talking about tonight, kind of the why um, behind um, sexual brokenness um, or impurity, um, for me, <clears throat> I grew up really believing that my whole identity, um, worth, value, um, acceptance was all, like, in what – excuse me, what people thought of me. Um, and so through that, I, I feel like I learned that a pretty young age um, that I could um, seek to gain that approval and that acceptance um, that I longed for uh, through relationships and eventually through sex. Um, I would say it's probably started in uh, junior high, middle school age, um, <clears throat> uh, making out with boys to get attention um, and really like enjoying that temporarily um, and just kind of starting that process of giving myself away uh, physically. Um, and I did like grow up in the church, and um, but I, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't understand how the gospel intersected with this area um, of sexuality. I just knew that sex before marriage was terrible um, and wrong and that I shouldn't do it, but I had no idea um, the temptation that I would face when I was actually in a relationship or when someone offered me their acceptance or approval in exchange for that. Um, and so uh, pretty quickly in high school, I um, found myself in a relationship and um, that was on the table all of a sudden. And I really, like my whole identity became wrapped up in this guy. And um, I just like was desperate for his approval and his acceptance and to keep uh, that relationship. And so I made compromises. We started sleeping together. Um, and it just, because I knew um, that sex outside of marriage was, was wrong and that God was not okay with it, um, it just began this, like, two- or three-year cycle of, um, you know, wanting his approval, giving in, and then, like, guilt and shame, and just over and over and over. And I'm completely on my own in it, uh, not sharing it with anyone, just really, like, complete darkness and isolation in that. Um, and just, like, so exhausting, um, that cycle of guilt and shame, and then feeling like I needed to fix it. I needed to clean myself up in order to be able to engage with God again, and then failing, and then living in guilt and shame, and just this cycle. Um, <clears throat> eventually, that relationship ended, and um, quick, I don't know, a year or two later, I kind of started um, partying in college or at uni, um, and... <laughs> um, yeah, so it just kind of began, kind of, things just kind of snowballed and kept getting progressively, like, worse and worse, and um, by the time I was a senior in college, um, I was drinking to the point of blacking out and having, like, one night stand after one night stand, and just feeling so lost and so dirty, and even experiencing rape in that season, 
and just finding myself in just covered in shame um, and hopelessness and um, helplessness to change because um, as much as it was so apparent to me that this lifestyle was leading to emptiness and pain and isolation, um, and I hated myself for doing it because I, like, I knew it wasn't what I should be doing um, or really what I wanted to be doing, but because it was offering this like false temporary acceptance for the night or for a few hours or for um, however long, I, I also felt like I didn't really want to let it go. Um, so yeah, it was just a really um, hard time in life and um, felt just so far from God, so um, just too messed up to come back to him, feeling like, okay, eventually I will uh, turn back to him, but I need to kind of clean up my life first. Um, and so kind of during that time, I found a church and started just kind of dove head first into like a church setting again, still not really sharing those parts of my life with anyone, but just deciding that I was going to change my behavior. My heart hadn't changed at all. Um, and so now I'm in a very Christian context and I've ended up even like working at this church and being involved in a life group and all those things. Um, but still ultimately like living for acceptance and approval from people. And so it just looked really different in that context um, because it wasn't really cool to sleep around um, and, or, and party and get drunk. It was cool to do a lot of like things for God and be really religious. And so I got really into that. Um, <clears throat> and I think in hindsight, like deep down, I was believing that I needed to like start doing things for God really to like atone for my sin and to make up for um, the brokenness and uh, the years of, of sin and shame to try to clean myself up. So that was also like really, really exhausting um, and it didn't work. Um, and in that time, I <coughs> ended up going to um, a ministry school um, through Hillsong in Australia uh, to kind of start um, experiencing like worship stuff and songwriting and um, in that time, I became really good friends with a girl, and she, like, we just got along really well, and, um, she really, like, affirmed me and, um, accepted me, and I felt like she really, like, saw me, um, in a way that no one had before in my life, and it just, it felt amazing, um, and I would even say she, like, worshipped me and we kind of, like, worshipped each other, uh, which sounds really intense, but it really was, like, my, my whole identity in that time became about what she thought of me, and, um, feeling like so like loved by her and um, desired by her and that eventually in like the unhealth of that and uh, the idolatry of that it just um, ended in or us like having like a physical sexual relationship that I did not see coming and I haven't ever been attracted to a, a woman before that or after that it just was this like vulnerable like time in my life and um, I just was so like desiring um, that that feeling of acceptance and uh, love from her, and um, even though it was such a counterfeit, it felt it felt so real. Um, and even though it was yeah, it was so false, but it had such a grip on me. Um, and again, I found myself even worse um, guilt and shame than ever before because it was even more like taboo and just something that I never imagined myself experiencing. Um, and so again, um, all through all of these experiences that same like question of am I enough does anybody want me uh, am I lovable like that was still unanswered and um, the longing was still there and it just really resulted in 
uh, darkness and isolation and again and still just feeling uh, way too messed up uh, to come back to God. Um, and it was in that place, um, I feel like God gave me the strength to um, like end that relationship. It was one of the most heart-wrenching things I've ever done because um, it, it really like it felt so great uh, to feel that and to have that acceptance. Um, but I knew that that God, like, I really do feel like rescued me from that and um, was able to end that relationship, but still felt so lost and so broken and so dirty. Um, and God really, like, met me in that place and really continued to pursue me. He had been pursuing me my whole life, but I feel like it became even more clear, like, in that place of desperation. And um, it was through, like, a new church and some friends and um, starting to have honest conversations um, as I was being discipled, and one of those people was Andy, and um, just starting to share even parts of my life that I feel like I had always basically lived some form of a double life of having like a church image to some extent, and then having like my real life and the real things that I was believing about myself and about God and doing, and um, starting to share those things and actually like experience grace um, and be pointed to Jesus in that, and to um, yeah, just to hear the good news of the gospel and to know that um, first, like, kind of realizing that, like, uh, the why that we've been talking about tonight, that all of that, even though it looks so different in each, like, time of life, um, that all of that, all of it was me chasing after that feeling of being wanted, of being loved, being accepted, um, and that learning and hearing the good news of the gospel, that all of that um, is provided in Jesus. Uh, that he's the one that satisfies that longing of my soul in a way that sex never could, relationships never could, friendships never could, um, and just, like, feeling so um, just relieved and um, grateful to be, like, hearing that and having that applied uh, to my life and to my brokenness, like, especially in this area of sexuality and um, learning things about how, just how he delights in me, how he wanted me, uh, that Jesus wanted me so much that he came to live and he died for me. He laid down his life for me so that I could belong to him, uh, that he bought me at a price, that he's given me his righteousness um, so that I can be perfectly accepted by the Father and I don't need the approval of others um, to give me identity. So, uh, yeah, just hearing all those things, I feel like through that, like his kindness leading me to repentance and uh, so many areas of life, um, especially this one, and just seeing... Um, not just the behavior. Um, I think I had kind of felt like, okay, I know these things that I'm doing are wrong, um, but really seeing like the heart, my motivation behind it, the idolatry of putting the approval of people um, above the affection and the approval of the Father. Um, and then in that, him also showing me that I really am a new creation in Jesus and that I'm no longer defined by my past, um, the way that I've lived, the way that I've used others, the way that I've been used and mistreated, that because of Jesus I'm clean and I'm blameless uh, before God, and that just being such good news to my soul. Um, and it's not something that I believed like once and from there it was great. It was something that I had to continually hear that I doubted, but that like the Spirit allowed me to like believe more and more that I really am like clean and that um, you. Jesus really has taken like all of my guilt and all of my shame and that now I'm free to live out of this new identity um, as a forgiven daughter um, and that I get to worship him with all of my life, which very much includes 
uh, my sexuality and uh, my body. And so, yeah, just through this process of continuing to understand uh, this new identity and the acceptance that I have in him, it really did start to change me uh, from the inside out. And there's so many ways, but for sake of time and just, um, yeah, I want to just share kind of how it impacted um, this area of life. And um, I feel like it changed the way that, one, that I, like that I saw myself, um, it changed the way that I like navigated dating relationships from there. Um, it meant that I could put myself out there um, and not like fear rejection, um, whether that's liking someone and then not liking me back or um, with dating, I, I didn't have to like be terrified of that or feel like I needed to change who I was or do certain things to like get their acceptance because I already had that in Jesus. Um, it meant that I no longer needed to use sex um, to or my body to like gain approval that I'm already secure in him. Um, it meant that the intimacy that I have in Jesus was enough. Um, even if I never got married um, or experienced a relationship or experienced a guy pursuing me, that I was okay um, and that Jesus has already done all those things. Um, and that was so freeing and um, wonderful. And the process wasn't perfect, like Andy said. It was so messy at times, but um, I did like start to really like believe and like live out of this new identity um, and see Jesus change, uh, change me so much in this area, and um, really experience like deep healing uh, from these things. Where I can honestly say today that um, I truly don't feel defined by any of this stuff, and um, I'm even able to like share it freely with you guys in hopes that like it would be um, the gift of going second, that it would free you guys to be more honest, and that. Um, I get to boast in who Jesus is and what he's done and in my weakness and in my brokenness, and that brings me so much joy. Um. And uh, in my relationship with Paul, my husband, um, <laughs> I never cry on the mic. This is weird. Um, when Paul and I started dating, he knew my story, and he knew, um, yeah, just the messiness, but because of the gospel, and and <clears throat> Paul is someone who had never held someone's hand, he had never kissed anyone, and so I think, yeah, there was some fear of, man, like, I know he knows me, we're friends already, and um, but he was really able to, like, reinforce my identity in Jesus, and um, just because of the gospel, like, um, he, he, when we talked about it, for the first time, even though he he like, had heard my story and I had shared it publicly, he was really able to say, like, you're new, like, you're a new creation, and um, that's how Jesus sees you, and that's how I see you, and that was really amazing. Um, so just being able to reinforce that identity. And, uh, yeah, and then since since being married, um, we've been able to enjoy sex as a gift, like what Andy talked about, in the context that God intended it. Um, and for me, this means enjoying it without guilt or shame or regret, um, without using it as a means uh, to gain gain anything or without hiding um, from God or from others. And really even in moments like during, like being able to use it as an opportunity to worship God for his goodness and his redemption. So thank you guys. Thanks, Nick. Uh, I think a couple of things. One is uh, obviously it takes a lot of courage to share stuff like that in front of a group of people. Um, but what I want you to see is the only way that that's possible is because she really does have a new identity and that, uh, that that isn't what defines her. 
that we all have things that we've struggled with or done, but Jesus is the truest thing about us. And so um, you don't have to be afraid to talk about what's happened because it's not the truest thing about you. Um, but, but the second thing I want you to see um, is kind of what that point was about is what's motivating sin. Again, we, we don't sin. Uh, there's something pushing us towards it. And for Nicole, it was about acceptance and wanting to be desired and wanted to the point where she ended up in like kind of a lesbian sexual relationship and she's never had that because it wasn't about just sex. It was about wanting to feel desired and seen and to be loved. And it wasn't until she realized that's what she was looking for and that Jesus could give that to her. He sees her clearer than anyone ever has. He created her. He knows her. He loves her. He'll provide for her. He's pursuing her. He doesn't use her for her body. He laid down his body for her that she was set free. You see that? It wasn't just, I, gotta, I, I just got to stop doing bad sex stuff. It's, it's, it's what's motivating this. And again, that's this point, uh, again, is to figure out what's motivating you to sin sexually. You might not be able to do that on your own. You could sit with uh, the elders or, or a leader here and, and just start to talk, hey, I don't know why I keep doing this, but, but something's motivating me. It's not just physical pleasure. That, that's tied to something else, okay? Um, and so again, figuring out what, motiv- what motivates you. The third thing, um, you guys okay? That was a heavy night. Um, we're gonna, this, these next uh, two are really practical, and then we'll close with some prayer time. Um, the third one is this, is if you are wrestling and you, you want to fight for sexual purity, you need to know what's driving you. You need to be in community talking about it. But you also need to build up your boundaries. Uh, you need to keep yourself from spaces where this happens. And that might seem really no-duh and basic, but no one seems to do it. Uh, I have so often people come to me, oh, I keep doing it. Um, where does it happen? Oh, same place every time. With who? Same person every time. What time of day? Same time of day. Uh, so we need to find out what, what's our, what are our triggers, okay? Romans 13, verses 13 through 14. It says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies. Again, big deal back then, a lot of orgy action back then. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. And I want you to key in on verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify desires. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't give your flesh a chance. Okay? It's like, don't even open the door a little bit because your flesh will kick the door in. Boom. Sexual sin temptation time. You got to know that. You got to lock down um, your life in that way, not to give sin a chance. Some of us are consistently in the wrong place at the wrong time, and we keep falling into sexual sin. Again, the Bible says this is crazy. Again, a made-up definition of insanity. This isn't the real definition of insanity, but again, it's doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Again, it's so basic, but so often we're deceived into thinking that doesn't matter. Proverbs 6, 27 through 28 says this. Can a man carry fire next to his chest? A better translation of that is the groin, literally, like his front, his groin, it's a sexual sin, is the context of the passage if you keep reading it. Can a man carry fire next to his groin and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? The idea here is potentially you could have burning coals on your chest and avoid getting burned once or twice, kind of a cool party trick. But over time, you will get burned, okay? If you keep putting yourself in the same um, compromising position, it, you will, it will catch up to you at some point. If you don't have a, a, a lock on the door at your house, theoretically, you could get through the night and no one would break in, but you could not live a life that way. Um, again, you can, you can engage in risky behavior, but eventually you will fail. So let me give you an example of what this looks like. If every time you go to your boyfriend or your girlfriend's house, or, or a dude who's not your boyfriend, or a girl who's not your girlfriend's um, house alone, you end up with your pants off, okay? You end up engaged in stuff you shouldn't be engaged in. Um, you might not be, a trigger for you might be being in a private space with someone you're sexually attracted to, and you guys both know it. You might not be able to handle 
going to your boyfriend's house and being alone or your girlfriend's house and being alone. Again, very few people can handle this, actually, if we're honest. We just don't talk about it a lot. Maybe you need to think about um, creating a boundary. Hey, I shouldn't be alone with you in private. I'm down to be alone with you a lot, but, but it needs to be uh, in public, in a public space. But, but, but for me, very few people, again, like end up on the table at Starbucks just going for it, right? So I'm not saying you can't have quality time and intimacy and one-on-one time, uh, but maybe it's, it's, not, it's, it's not for you, right? So again, be careful alone, general rule. Super wise to uh, avoid being in a private place. Um, again, going to watch a movie, uh, just the two of you on the couch, is not usually a great idea. Um, you probably can't just Netflix without chilling for very long. This is the new school Proverbs 6. Can a man Netflix and not chill? Maybe for a season, maybe a couple times. But you know stuff starts to happen in, in, in areas. And if it's not happening, you, you probably shouldn't be dating because you're not attracted to them. Again, it might sound extreme. You can't be alone in a private space. But Jesus calls us to extreme measures in our fight for sexual purity. Discipleship requires sacrifice. Jesus talks about cutting off your hand. It's intense. His point is, uh, this is uh, no chances with this thing. If every time uh, you go online in private, you end up looking at internet pornography or talking to people you should be talking to online, um, you probably shouldn't go online in private anymore. You probably should add uh, accountability software where your, your, your online reality is tracked or, or, or filters that keep you from it. Um, again, 80% of guys under the age of 30 look at porn weekly. Um, I, I, me and Josh talked about the other day. I just don't trust you to have unlimited filter, unlimited internet access on their phones. There's very few guys uh, we, we trust. Um, but again, it's just very rarely, it, so I'm not saying you have to, if you don't struggle, whatever, don't worry about me judging you. Um, but I'll say this, uh, if you have struggled with this, we said we don't, we don't trust guys who say they struggle with it and then have un, unfiltered access, as addictive as it is. Um, but for you, yeah, like, like it might not be something that you jump on, you don't jump on the internet at night by yourself. You, you have um, some software on your computer. Again, if you want help with that, again, you can talk to the elders, leaders, and get connected to some programs. Uh, to help you with that, but it's so, so, so important. Again, if, you're, if your friends were drunk and they wanted to drive, you'd probably take their keys away. Some of you guys, you're crashing your life with, uh, you're crashing um, the car of your life in, into internet pornography over and over and over again. You can't handle it. It's embarrassing, but you can't handle it, and that's okay. Um, but you gotta stop putting yourself in those positions because it will destroy you. It is so addictive. Um, and I know this, uh, my iPad right here, this iPad right here, uh, I brought with me. It's not my iPad. It's my wife's iPad, but even when I preach and teach, uh, it does not have any, uh, filtering on it. And so literally I don't know the code to my own iPad I bought on the trip. I'm a pastor. I don't put myself in that position. Uh, so, uh, a couple people on my team, uh, and Grant, uh, no, Jackie sent them the code and said, Hey, for Andy to jump on. And then it's turned off and it's turned off and I don't have to deal with it. I don't put myself in that position. I don't want to spend, you know, 10 days in a space where uh, I might be tempted to go back to something that I used to look to for comfort. I'm on a trip where I'm very tired. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of annoyed at times. Uh, things don't always go the way you want them to. Um, and so, uh, and, you go, and you might think, man, Andy's a real perv. How, he's on an apostolic trip, and he's tempted to sin sexually. Uh, the devil has even more reason to tempt me in a space like this. And, and so I, I just want to say again, um, we have to take steps or you're going to end up there. So again, I'm not saying you have to do what I do, but I'm just saying, um, whatever it takes, once you realize what consistently is kind of your open door, wherever you're giving provision to the flesh, man, you've got to take, take precautions. Um, uh, this is also really important in terms of dating relationships. This is why it really matters that you date a follower of Jesus. Um, it's hard enough when both of you are committed to sexual purity, when you have one of the two that's like, nah, that's not really my thing. 
right? Like you're hanging out. Hey, why can't we just kick it? Why can't you just sit on my lap? Why can't I just kind of touch you? Why can't I? Come on, I love you. Da da da. It goes back and forth. Um, that's hard enough. Uh, it's hard enough um, to date someone and, and, and maintain your sexual purity for any amount of time when you both agree to it. It is impossible if the other person's not on board. They'll literally try to seduce you. Um, and like you don't want to be in that space. And so you need someone who agrees. Man, I have the same goal. I want to love you and I want to love Jesus. So let's do that together. So I encourage people to have that conversation early about what the boundaries should be and taking take into consideration your past, taking into consideration uh, where you guys have been so far. Uh, one pastor said this. He said, every time a person makes the decision to sin sexually, it was preceded by a series of unwise decisions that weren't necessarily sinful, but set them up to be tempted. Right? So no one just wakes up one day and is in an affair. Just walking down the street, whoa, I'm having sex with someone I'm not married to. How did this happen? Just out of nowhere. No. There, there was a um, tough space in the marriage, most likely. There was a, uh, man, my, my husband's not affirming me like I wish he would. And there's a guy at work who loves to affirm me. Uh, and, and I love it too. And actually, I, I, I'm moving towards that. And I'm starting to fantasize what it would be like to be married to him. And I'm starting to spend alone time with him and no one knows about it. And you see you know what I'm saying? There, there was a lot of spaces that early on weren't necessarily sinful or very hard to discern, but, but there was a movement towards something, right? Um, when, again, when, when dudes uh, or and gals also struggle with internet pornography, I don't want to make it like a guy thing, especially for millennials. Um, but when, when someone looks at pornography consistently, again, rarely are they like walking into Starbucks with their iPad ready to roll. It was, uh, I, I isolated. I got, I got away from everyone else. I was alone by myself. Uh, I had un, un, unfiltered internet access. I locked the door, uh, da, 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 and, and it goes down. Okay, so this again is preceded by a set of decisions. Now, um, um, so boundaries put you in a place that keep yourself from unwise decisions where sexual temptation goes down. They're not going to make you invincible, uh, like, like you'll never be sexually tempted again, but they put you in a space where you avoid those temptations. Um, again, boundaries might sound legalistic, but keep in mind they aren't. They can actually be wildly gospel-driven. Boundaries would be legalistic if you thought you were better because you had them. I don't hang out alone with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm so much godlier than you. I don't have unrestricted internet access on my phone. I am so much holier than you. Never watch YouTube on my phone. No, it's actually a humble thing to have boundaries. It's saying I'm too weak to hang out alone in a private place because of the wickedness in my heart we talked about earlier. I'm too weak to have unrestricted internet access. You see what I'm saying? This isn't like I'm better and I'm, and you know, this is like, man, I'm too weak and I can't handle that. Again, boundaries don't make you better or more spiritual. We have them precisely because we aren't better. We aren't spiritual enough to overcome our flesh on our own. Even people full of the spirit. The spirit doesn't make you temptation proof. The spirit helps you walk away from temptations. We're still in a fallen world. So when trying to make boundaries, a good question to ask yourself, I would write this down if you can write anything down. If I was the enemy, how would I tempt me knowing what I know about me? Enemy knows you. Enemy knows people. <laughs> Demons have been around a long time, and, and they know you personally. Knowing what I know about myself and my habits and my patterns and my weaknesses, how would I tempt me? What's the ideal situation to get, to get them to sin and to sin sexually? Where are the weaknesses in my armor? And then that's precisely where you put boundaries up. I knew one couple... They, they were like hot, they were hot and heavy. They were into it. They're both really attractive. Um, and they both were really into each other and they, they realized they couldn't ride in a car together <laughs> until they got married the last two months of their, their engagement, right? Now they have very passionate married sex. Um, but for them, it was like, it would get crazy. So they, they would drive separate to the restaurants. 
That might sound silly, but they were being realistic about what was going on. That, that doesn't necessarily need to be you, but again, you got to know what your line is. So three, you got to build uh, boundaries. Uh, four, uh, this last two, I'll go, these are quick, but they, but they might be the most important. The fourth one is this, is remember your new identity. Remember your new identity. This is one strategy that I don't think we talk about much as followers of Jesus, but it's so important. And I wish more churches would talk about this. So often, uh, Nicole talked about this earlier, how she viewed herself. She's kind of, man, this is how, I'm a person who finds acceptance and love through sleeping with guys. Uh, I'm a person who finds acceptance and love, da, 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 da. Um, For me, uh, I remember I, I told this story in my church about two years ago, the story of me and my wife. Uh, we did a sermon series on, on sex and um, our journey towards sexual wholeness. And I remember I gave this talk once, and I remember right after I had so much insecurity and fear that crept in. Like, I don't know if you've ever shared something, and then after you're like, should I have said that? Uh, imagine sharing your, your sexual history with 200 people, like I just did. And then like a day later, thinking about what people think of you. Um, and, uh, and so I was in that space, and I felt so ashamed and so embarrassed. Like, man, I'm, man, I'm so weird, and why did I do that? And, uh, and I had a moment where I remember Romans 6. And Romans 6, 67 says this. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And so here's the deal. My story that I told you, my story about Andy Rogers, the pornography addict, my story about Andy Rogers, the guy that used and manipulated and um, moved towards girls in a way to use them to feel like I was important or I was special or I was the man. That Andy Rogers died on the cross with Jesus. He is dead. He only comes to life when I dig him out of the grave and carry him around, which is a weird thing to do. I realize that I don't have to live that way anymore, that when I do sin, it's because I've forgotten who I am, because at the cross, Jesus took away the power of sin in my life. I used to be a slave to it, but now I'm free. I still struggle with sin, but I only struggle when I have forgotten who I am. But when I'm living in light of who I am, the desire weakens in me. Romans 6.11 says this, a few verses later. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. I might feel like sin's alive, but it's not. Oftentimes, a big aspect of growing in the gospel is realizing that what you feel isn't what's real chapter of a book I love that's called What You Feel Versus What Is Real, that the reality is, is I'm, I'm set free from sin even if I feel like that's who I am. In the United States, we had, a, an American, we had the American Civil War in the 1800s, and uh, a big reason that that kicked off was the issue of slavery, that, um, that, that people from the continent of Africa were taken, they were enslaved, there's a transatlantic slave trade, they were forced into slavery, and there was a point in history where enough people in America, white people, realized that this was destructive and demonic and disgusting. And they put an end to it, and Abraham Lincoln signed an executive order called the Emancipation Proclamation, where he emancipated or set free all of the slaves. And there's a lot of accounts, and there's, a, there's an account I read once about a slave who had been a free for about a year. And he walked into town, the town square near the plantation he used to work on. And he saw his old master, and he talks about um, the feelings in his, in his heart of servitude and fear. And he felt like he was a slave again. He said, like, I, I made eye contact with him, and instantly I felt as though I was a slave again, even though I wasn't in chains. 
And, and what can happen with us is we can go, oh, I feel like a slave again. I'm tempted to get, oh, this is what I do. I just have to give in to sin, but you don't. There's another account of a slave at this time who has left the equivalent of a million dollars by a slave owner who repented and felt terrible and on their deathbed to try to make up for it. It didn't make up for it, but, but no way to try to make restitution left uh, their slave the equivalent of a million dollars in the bank. And, and this slave had never known how to use a bank, had never made financial decisions on their own. They were fed day by day by this plantation owner. And there's an account of, of, of this person going to the bank and asking daily, is there enough money in there to buy oatmeal today? Is there enough money in there to buy oatmeal today? He didn't know. He could have bought his own plantation, his own house. And so often we live under what's available to us, under who we are, that we're no longer slaves. We're set free in Jesus. That we have an inheritance. That we have a power. We live like we're just, man, can I just sleep with this guy today to feel like I'm special and important? No, the king of the universe delights in you. I think that God wants you to know tonight that you don't have to live like a slave to sin anymore because you've become a son or daughter of the king through Jesus His work for you. Like the enemy's greatest trick is to make us think that because we have always lived a certain way that we can never change. I want to read a story to you from a, a book I love. It says this, it says, we were slaves of sin and now we are children of God. It would be crazy to go on living as slaves and not as children. Freedom doesn't mean we can sin. That's not freedom. That's going back into slavery. Imagine an alcoholic whose addiction has rest, wrecked his life. Someone kindly puts him through rehab and after several months he leaves free from his addiction. He's not going to say, I'm free at last, so I'm going to get drunk. That's not freedom. That's returning to his old slavery. He says it was Sophie's first day with her adoptive parents. She stalked nervously around her new home, fearing one of the beatings she used to get if something got broken. The toys in her home went untouched. She couldn't quite believe they were hers. At dinner, she secretly stuffed food into her pockets because you never knew where your next meal would come from when you were on the streets she was originally from. That night, she felt so alone in her big room. She would have cried if she hadn't long since learned to suppress her emotions because they too would lead to beatings. Now listen to her new adopted mother one year later, describing Sophie. She crawled into bed with me last night because she was having a bad dream. She curled up next to me, put her head on my chest, told me that she loved me, smiled, and went to sleep. I nearly cried with contentment. Sophie had a new identity on day one. She'd become a child in a new family, but initially she still lived like a child of the street. Her actions and attitudes were shaped by her old identity. Christians, too, have a new identity, and we're to live out our new identity to be what we already are. So don't live like a slave when you can live like a child of the king of the universe. And similar to Sophie, you, you may have grown up finding approval through sex or comfort. Or you found control through sex. Or, or, or you felt like somebody through sex. Or you felt like you're just a dirty girl who will always be dirty. Or you're a perverted guy who will always be perverted. That's what the enemy tells you, what you believe. And I feel like God wants me to tell you guys tonight again that you don't have to live this way. Because that's not who you are. You are pure so you can live a pure life. You have the power to change through what Jesus did for you. Now, you may follow all this counsel I've given you. You're confessing in community. You've put up boundaries. 
Um, you're really considering what's motivating you, and you're turning to Jesus for that. You're, you're seeking to remember your truest identity, and there may be still moments where you fall into sin again. And when you do, there's only one thing you can do, and it's my last point. It's run to your Savior for grace. Run to your Savior for grace. A gospel-centered counselor told me once, uh, you can turn back to Jesus in an instant. The minute you get done looking at porn or sleeping with that guy, you can say, Jesus, I'm right here. You can turn to him in that moment. I think often many of us live with a sin hangover and we wait until we feel better again about ourselves. When we feel less guilty, we'll talk to Jesus again. But to do that is to, to, is to demean what Jesus did for you on the cross. I'll come to you when I feel like I've earned it. I don't come to you when I need grace. Hebrews 4 says this. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, that Jesus is not a God who is just far off. Jesus experienced real temptation in a real physical body. He knows what it's like to be tempted, but he never sinned, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When do we need to receive mercy? When do we need grace? When we sin. <laughs> we want to go to the, the throne of grace and we don't need grace. Jesus is outside of time. So he isn't like, oh, she waited a week to talk to me? Seems clean enough now. Jesus knows the worst you and he knows the future version of you you will be. He's not overwhelmed by your sin. You can turn to him in an instant, not on the basis of your feelings of not being guilty, but on the basis of him covering your guilt already. Turning back to Jesus in repentance isn't never sinning again. I, what I don't want to do tonight is we end this, we have a prayer time, and you go, cool, I'm never going to sin again. I felt really bad about my sin. I said I won't do it anymore. And that's it. Because you will sin again, at least in your heart and in your mind. It, now, it should involve sinning less. But maturity... Is not sinning, is, is, is not, not sinning ever again. It's turning to him quicker and quicker and not sulking in sin and shame, but going, this is stupid. Jesus, you're better. This can't give me what only you can. Counselor told me this once. I thought it was so helpful. She said, uh, she's in her 70s. She's a really godly gospel centered counselor. And she said, I still struggle with some sins and maybe I will for the rest of my life, some temptations. But the difference is I don't go there as often and I don't stay as long. That's really helpful. That growth is, is I go there less and I don't stay as long. I don't let it overtake me. I don't go into porn binge seasons. The minute I'm there, it, I, I want to run out of there. The minute I'm tempted to go there, I want to run out of there. Uh, it's turning to Jesus quicker. One pastor in America was counseling a guy addicted to pornography, and he said, what would happen if before you looked at porn, you prayed, thank you, Jesus, for dying for what I'm about to do. He's like, well, I, would, I wouldn't look at porn. He's like, that's the point. <laughs> we can turn to him so quickly in the middle of it. We turn to him and remember him and our hearts set free because when we understand how much he loves us and what he did to prove his love for us and we realize he bought us at a price, it's like, man, you're better than this. It's only when we lose sight of him that this thing takes over. And, and when it starts to take over, the best thing we can do is run to our Savior for grace. And go, I need you. I've sinned. Help me. Have mercy on me, a sinner, and see what he does. And so right now, I want to um, move into a time uh, of prayer. If you guys are okay with that.
Uh, well, either way, it's what we're doing. So if you're not okay with it, uh, it's, it's happening. And here's what I want to say. Um, uh, I, I'm going to open it up for prayer. I think everyone here should receive from prayer. Uh, now, a lot of you guys might be thinking, um, so I'm going to walk up and everyone's going to know, oh, there's a, a dirty, perverted, sexual person, right? I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to walk up. That's everyone's here's hearts, okay? And one of the things that Nicole um, shared that's so helpful for us is, is sexual sins motivated by so many other things. So I want to open, I want to open it up for prayer in general around sin because everyone sins. First John says, if you claim to be without sin, you're a liar and the truth of God's not in you. We all need prayer here tonight, okay? So I want to encourage everyone in this room to receive prayer tonight for a sin issue in their life. We're just going to pretend everyone's going up for pride, okay? But I want to encourage everyone in this room uh, to receive prayer tonight. Now, I'm going to receive prayer right after this. I have struggled with pride and lust and anger on this trip. I need Jesus' saving grace. Some of you guys, you need to um, get prayer tonight. And in the next few weeks, you need to confess to someone. In the next few days, hours, maybe probably tonight would be great, actually. Confess that, that you need help, that you're in sin. Get help. Don't do this alone. You can't do it alone. It's not an instant fix it. It's getting help in community and making the changes you need to make over time to walk with Jesus in purity and sexual fulfillment. So right now, uh, with the people who have been asked to pray, um, kind of get to the side, stand on the sides uh, near kind of the corners. Uh, Josh, would you come on up? Um, Josh is uh, with us from California, and he's going to play a, a worship song. Would you guys stand with us? Um, and we're going to worship. But while we worship, I want to encourage you guys, if you're here today, uh, we really want to open it up for prayer. And I really want to say it's not weird. I'm literally going to go over to Grant right now and receive prayer from my own heart. Yeah, also if you're from San Diego, you can go pray for people. So also why you're here. So I'm going to pray us to do a time of worship. And then I want to, I want to ask us to, to take a minute and just ask Jesus, what step are you calling me to take next? I want to encourage you guys to receive prayer and to ask God how, how he wants you to move towards uh, not only sexual purity, but a purity of heart that leads to purity in all of our life, including sexual purity. And I would encourage you to receive some prayer tonight um, for those things. Jesus, thank you that you're a, a merciful and faithful high priest. Thank you that we can run to you when we need grace, that at our lowest, most embarrassing moments, you're ready to receive us again. So I think about this idea that we don't have to sin, that we're no longer slaves to sin. I always get the picture I feel like you gave me like probably 10 years ago tied to my own struggle with sexual sin. And it was a picture of me sitting in a prison cell and there was a key in the prison cell and the key was on the inside. And all I had to do was turn the key and open the door. And then that picture, you show up, you walk up and you, you encourage me to open the door and you take me by the hand and you said, let's get out of here. That you don't want to relock me in there. You don't want to yell at me and shame me. You want to go, let's get out of here. This is stupid. You're better than this. I died to set you free. Don't live in prison. Come home with me. So Lord, for those who feel trapped and ensnared and enslaved and imprisoned by sexual sin and the lies of the enemy, I pray right now, Jesus, you would just begin to set them free from those lies. I pray that they would even now get a sense where they feel embarrassed or guilty or ashamed. They go, I don't want to get prayer. Or I don't even, even want anyone to think I could be a sinner or, or I could struggle with sexual sin or whatever it is. God, would you just end that lie? And with people who know, they know. They know where they're at. They know they need help. Lord, would you give them power tonight to get help? And when they, would they, and when they know that no one gets to look down on them, they don't need to be afraid. Jesus proved everyone in this room is a mess without him. He died to clean them. And so, Lord, would you, would you, would you make this place a, a space of grace tonight? 
Would you make it a, a place of, of fresh starts? Would you make it a place of walking out of jail cells? Would you make it a place out of moving from slavery to sonship and daughtership? Would you make it a place of shame being lifted, guilt being covered, hearts being encouraged, identities being established, and new rhythms of life, new rhythms of freedom and joy being started? In Jesus' name, amen.